your co-host Olivia. And I'm your co-host Kennedy. And welcome to the macabre. So I'm going to do a case about domestic violence. I was going to say abuse, and then I said violence, but domestic violence and domestic abuse. Anyway. Trigger warning. So, yeah, that was the whole point. Um, trigger warning, just in case that upsets you. So let's get into it, baby. Yes. So I'm doing the case of Zizel Preston. Um, Zizel, before she had met this piece of shit we're about to talk about, Zizel had two daughters. I'm not going to say the kids' names, even though they're adults now. I just, well, not, two of them are not adults. One of them is, but I don't want to give their names out. You can definitely find them if you want to know what their names are, but I don't want to say them if they don't want their names to be said, especially if two are minors. So... Um, Zazel had two daughters. Um, when she was killed, the daughters were three and eight. Um, and she had been together with this motherfucker for like three years before she died. So a little bit later, she meets, not long after her second daughter is born, she meets William Wallace who is a dock worker and a piece of shit. So let's get started. Um, So they ended up living together in an apartment in Anaheim, California. Oh my God, mine is also in Anaheim, California. You're lying. Uh, (laughs) I shit you not, it takes place in Anaheim. (laughs) And it's another mother. Oh my God, that's weird. What year? 2011. 1980. Oh, shit. That's pretty. That's, that was a little bit a while ago. Sorry, I was just like, no fucking way. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they moved in together in an apartment in Anaheim. So right off the bat, their love, their relationship, was completely toxic and abusive. Not on Zizel's end, but on, of course, William Wallace's end. He would beat her and... I mean, it was mostly physical abuse rather than mental, but all around just terrible. And he would do it in front of the children. And they also ended up having a baby together. William and Zazel ended up having a baby boy together. Um, and throughout their relationship, um, Zazel's family knew how abusive he was to her. Um, the relatives of Zazel described Wallace's um, behavior as controlling and violent. They said that there were previous incidents of obviously domestic abuse, but him threatening to kill her. So they'd been together for three years and a family member said that Wallace was killing her for three years. Yikes. Yeah. Um, Seidel's Zazel's mother um, said that Wallace was a psychopath with a hair-triggered temper who cared only about himself. 
And then at one point, at one point in time, um, Zizel called her grandmother. And during, when she was on the witness stand, Zizel's grandmother was on the witness stand. She said, quote, he chased her down after beating her up at the apartment. She was seven and three quarters months pregnant. And she was laying on the sidewalk of Beach and Lincoln and crying on the ground in the fetal position. And I was on the phone telling her to please get up and get somewhere safe because he had got up on her and was kicking her on the ground. I didn't physically see it. I couldn't, I could only hear the licks being passed and she was able to hide in the 7-Eleven Lincoln and Beach. I called the police. Awesome. Yeah. So, I just, I don't love that. Already off to a banging start. Yep. And that's also when, because he, Wallace was in and out of prison for of course he was. domestic violence against oh, wow. Zazel. Yeah. That's shocking, really. He also had a protective order against her. Or, like, she had a protective order against him, but it did not keep him away and keep him from abusing her because it's about as effective as something useless, I feel. Like, whatever's useless. That's this. That's that. Um, also, Seidel also said that the day she died, um, Wallace was on the phone with her and said, if they, speaking about women, could take another breath, they could take another hit. <gasps> and he said that while he was on the phone call, like on a phone call with her. About women. Oh. But she knew it was about her. Zizel. Her daughter. Yeah. Um also a statement by Lori Galloway, who was um a director, an executive director for Home for Abused Women and Children. She said that Zizel tried to escape Wallace several times. And she said, quote, she desperately tried but was savagely beaten and murdered before she could. So before Zizel passed, she was a full-time student at Cypress College and she was focusing on becoming a domestic violence counselor. Oh. Yeah. Um... Before she died, she was also weeks away from graduation and had told one of her family members that she was planning on finally leaving Wallace for good. So on December 25th, 2011, because we're nearing Christmas time and I figured why not a Christmas case? So, so here we go. Yep. December 25th, 2011, the police get a phone call at 9.30 a.m. from a 36-year-old William Wallace. I hate Now, some articles say it was William and some articles say it was Zizel's oldest daughter. Both are awful. Yeah. Now, the call came in and the paramedics were told that Zizel needed medical attention. And throughout their relationship, they were never married, but Zizel would often refer to him as her husband and um, vice versa. But they had lived together for very, for very, for not like a super long time, but for a few years. 
Um, but then when the paramedics arrived on scene, they found 26-year-old Zazel lifeless on the couch wearing sunglasses. How did they not know who made the call? Well, it's just not reported, which whether, because the phone call's not released. But somebody has to know. Somebody sure does, but the articles don't know. Like, it's not, like, the sources mix it up is what I'm saying. Wow. So, it could be it's one or the other so i love how you didn't listen did you hear what i just said yeah wearing sunglasses yeah okay just making sure i just didn't know what it meant yet okay yeah. you haven't told me. i just feel like you would have questioned that more but you didn't i knew it you're gonna mention it later yep okay her okay now obviously the paramedics were like that's a little hanky that's a little weird so they automatically though they go up to her to Giselle and they automatically know that she's cold and she's dead and there's no way that they can help her so they end up getting the police there and then the police take some more looks and they find holes in the walls doors off their hinges and blood smeared all over the residence now both like they had talked to the daughter she was eight at this time, and they. Oh my god! Yeah, she was eight. Yeah, the oldest daughter was eight, and the youngest daughter was three years old. <gasps> and then they had a son together who was seven weeks old. That's awful. Yeah. So, um, they had questioned William, and he had said, he had said two different things. One was that she had drunkenly slipped and fell. And hit her head because she ended up falling into their glass coffee table and the coffee table shattered. So he said that either one of two things that she had just drunkenly fallen and fell and slipped into the glass table. And then that's what um, Zazel's daughter backs up first at first. She does. Um and then the one that he ends up sticking with is um, they had gotten in a fight and they were drinking and they got into a physical altercation and Zizel goes to bite him and like starts biting him and he pushes her away in self-defense and she falls to the coffee table. And then that's when he believes she may have concussed herself and died. Um the eight-year-old ends up, um, the prosecutor that does this case says that the eight-year-old was basically coached by William, and then as she gets, like, coached by what to say, and then as she gets older, when she does her impact statement, she says that she was just terrified of William and what he well, would do yeah. to her. Yeah, because she had... Because she's eight! And she has witnessed several beatings from... yeah. By her mother, but by there was no account saying that the kids had been abused by him. So we don't know for sure. And then also, um, the grandmother, who was ninety at the time, Jesus, of ninety at the time of the trial, not at when this happened. Still queen. Yeah, queeneth, beaneth. Um, William called her. And, like, said what happened and said that, like, they were just 
like he told the police that he said that he quote tossed her around but the grandmother says that she doesn't remember that and that he just said horseplay like he just totally underplayed what had happened so now we're gonna take it a day back we're gonna rewind christmas eve christmas eve the 24th 2011 we're gonna rewind that shit what a year so december 24th 2011 they ended up going to um a neighbor's home for a christmas party the anaheim in the anaheim apartment complex so i think they had just left their kids to sleep that night solid for a while well i think they were just like right next door no I'm which just is good for them oh okay i thought you were like judging shit Mm-mm. i would do the same shit now, this neighbor was Thurman Williams, who was Wallace's former cellmate from <laughs> when William was in prison for abusing Zizel. So that's fun. Um, Williams, I'm going to say, sorry, I like you going back. I'm going to say Thurman because this is, that's his first name. So Thurman testified that at the time of the party, Zizel and... William were fighting over leaving the children alone. Okay. That's what he says happened, but I just know that they had fought. But I don't know exactly about what, but that's what Thurman says had happened, is that they were fighting about leaving the children alone. And so they were literally arguing the whole way back. So I don't know how far away the apartment was, or, like, which apartment, because some apartments are built differently. Mm -hmm. So... Neighbors said that they could hear them arguing and fighting, like, all the way back to their apartment. Whether it was a few doors down or whatever, they just heard them. So, they get back in, and then that's when William begins beating her. And at one point, she ends up, like, getting out of the door, and he drags her back in to the apartment. Awesome. Um, That's when the oldest daughter wakes up, and he... She later does say when she gets when she's older and actually testifies, she says that she watched him push her into the glass coffee table. And that's when it shatters. So she it wasn't self-defense, it was just him beating her. Um and then she goes unconscious, and that's when William makes Zazelle's daughter pull glass of her skin. <gasps> out of her skin. Why? Because she was up, and he, she was eight. But why did they need to pull this glass out? Well, because he was just... Thurman also in his statement said that William told him that he felt bad about what he had done, so he was trying to clean her up. He did not. But basically, he had Zizel's oldest daughter, who was eight, take the glass out of her mother's skin. First of all... I would have vomited. Say no. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, she said that. Verbatim. <laughs> she did. She's like, go fuck yourself. Actually, fuck you. Actually, I think. Um, and then she ended up helping William move Zizel's body into the bathroom. Awesome. As William was putting her into the bathtub, he dropped her. <laughs> On purpose? No, accident. I think it was on accident. Because he's a weak motherfucker. <laughs> and Zazelle hit her head on the t- on the toilet. Owie. So that's when the daughter believes that that's when she died immediately. Was hitting her head on the toilet. 
Yep. Um, but then William decides, you know what, though? She's fine. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put her in bed. I'm just gonna, she's just gonna sleep it off. Those poor sheets. I think she's gonna sleep it off, so it'll be fine. <laughs> she's gonna sleep it off, you know how? Yep. Yep. Now we're at Christmas time. Okay. Christmas morning. Yay. Yay. Um, seven week old, three year old, eight year old. Get out of bed. Obviously, the seven week old doesn't open presents. I think he does. I don't think. I don't think he's able. He to did. Do. He was like, "Give me those presents." <laughs> he just starts unwrapping them before anybody. He's like already at the he tree. He was up. He he's was like, going hey guys. for it. He's like, "Where have you been?" Like, oh my god, hey, about I time. Like I was waiting. Like Santa's like right at you guys. So that's when this fucking motherfucker, the daughter, the oldest daughter, remembers this vividly. She remembers William dragging Zazel out of bed. She just needs some coffee. <laughs> She'll get into it. Give her a few minutes. She just needs some coffee. You. <laughs> That's me getting you out of bed to go to school. So. You don't get me out of bed to go to school. I should. No, don't ever do that. I'll, I'll start locking my door. Okay. But he drags her out of bed. Puts glasses on her, little sunnies, the, sun, the, the sunglasses. Props her head up on the couch. Props her on the couch. Literal, like, what's that one movie that's like? Weekend at Bernie's. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> Literal Weekend at Bernie's type <laughs> No, that's exactly what. It was. But domestic violence edition. But domestic violence, and he's not just really hungover. Nope. But that's what he claims that she was. She was just hungover. Yep. He said, quote, mommy ruined Christmas. She got drunk and ruined Christmas. You killed her. Um, just saying. But he said that to a three and eight-year-old. I am well aware. Yep. Okay. Just wanted to- Also, he slept next to her dead body in bed all night. Yep. I just wanted to make that clear. There's my- I hope you- Yeah? I don't love it. Well, you're gonna have to know it for funsies. Now that's when- the three and eight year old were up at the Christmas tree opening presents, and then girl, in the seven week old, in the seven week old, you're right. I'm that's um, discrimination. What? Don't know. Ageist. There we go. That's what I meant. Um, and then that's when good old William pulls out a camcorder. Well, camcorder. He's like, guys. Yeah, he records them opening presents. Does he record the dead body? I don't know. I want to see that video so goddamn bad. I don't think so, but. That's, but who knows with him? That's what he does. He pulls out of... He's like, guys, this is fun, right? He's like, oh my god, Christmas. Best time of our life. Yay. The oldest daughter also remembers touching her mother's body. Nope. Yep. That's disgusting. Remembers so. that, like, feels that she's cold and just like... <laughs> just needs a blanket. <laughs> I'm trying to take this from a kid's perspective. I know. She just needs a coffee and so that blanket. Yeah, so she remember uh, she remembers saying, "Mommy, like mom," and her not responding. So that's when William fucking calls nine one one, and that's the he's s- like, "Oh my god, guys, you're right. Actually, she's not breathing." Yeah, I'm gonna call. Yeah, um, he just said that I he. Yeah, he just said that he assumed that she died overnight, like she had a concussion and she died overnight. 
it wasn't his fault. Awesome. Yeah. So that's super good. Um, the pathologist said that she died, Zizel died of a brain hemorrhage due to one or more of these six blunt force blows to her head. She had four areas of trauma on her face and two on the back of her head. And they said that all of them occurred within the same time frame. And because of these injuries, it was not due to that fall on the glass that he had claimed had happened or due to just that toilet seat hitting. It was because of the multiple blows to her head. So uh, the prosecutor wanted to get first degree murder on this because obviously he she felt like she he had intent with this he beat her and he obviously she was bleeding from the head and he knew that and he did not call the police and therefore he intended to kill her and let her die so um it was 2011 he was arrested for her murder but uh he didn't have a trial till nine years later in 2021 the law system should really slow. You <laughs> should really get on that. Nine years. I should? You personally. Yep, I said that. Oh, good. Okay. That's your first order of business? Yep. As a freshman. No, like once you get up there, like just be like, hey guys. This isn't right. This is Far too slow. <laughs> you guys need to wrap it up. I don't know what's <laughs> going on here, but I don't like it. Now, April 7th, 2021, he was convicted of second degree murder and domestic abuse. That's what I would have gone with. Secondary. You think? I don't think it was preemptive, which is first degree. I agree with that. But I think that it... I think it was first degree. I think he should have gone first degree. Oh, I think he should spend... I think he should get the death sentence. But <laughs> um, I didn't think it was second degree because he there was no preemptive of this. I, view, I think I'm going with the prosecution where he... Saw her injuries and did nothing about it and let her die. But he didn't, like, plan ahead to do this. It doesn't have to be, like, it doesn't have to be, like, a super long. It can be, I'm beating you up, now I'm going to kill you. That's um, automatically first degree. As soon as you plan to kill them. It's, second is, like, heat of the moment. You didn't mean to do it. It was an accident. Manslaughter, it was, like, a complete accident. Yeah. And things like that, but. Can I do, like, one and a half degree? No. You sure? No. That's just what I'm feeling. I'm pretty positive. You can't be doing that. That's just what I'm feeling, you know? (laughs) You don't get that. You don't get one and a half. He ended up getting sentenced, though, in June. So he was convicted, and then his final sentencing for how long he's going to stay in prison. Now, I'm going to read the victim impact statements. Yay. And then I will finally um, uncover his official sentence. So... Zizel's mother said, he beat and tortured my daughter and at the same time mentally assassinated her children. He showed her no mercy. Let's show him no mercy. William Wallace robbed us of her knowledge and wisdom and understanding. Zizel was an amazing and talented young woman until he came along and took her from us forever. Now, this is from Zizel's oldest daughter, who was who is now 18. Um, She says, I have grown up with a life of hell since he murdered my mom. There's no such thing as a childhood for me. 
This has been a life of hell, almost a life not worth living. There have been times I've thought about taking my life because of this. And then she looks at him and says, what have you done? What you have done is so unforgivable. It keeps me up at night. I have PTSD and depression. My life has just been a downhill spiral. Nothing but a downhill spiral since I was eight years old. And then she references her youngest brother, who was seven weeks at the time. Your son has grown up without a father. Now he's forced to grow up without a dad, and that is so unfair. Now, he was sentenced to 15 years to life, but they counted his nine years for waiting. Are you kidding? No. So he could could be out in six years. And then we tagged him. And we beat the shadow. Yeah, absolutely. We and get, we bang his head against the toilet and throw him through a glass table. We get he gets exactly what he did. I feel like that's so fair. I love eye for an eye. Me too. You, I would be that judge. You get what's coming to you. The only reason I never go into law is to be a Supreme Court judge or any kind of judge. Executioner, actually. We're bringing those back. Nope. Yep, we're bringing those back. No, rotten prison. We're bringing. Spend all the years. We're bringing executioners back. <laughs> really, little miss. He should have gotten. He should have gotten. The death penalty. Okay. I don't actually like the death penalty, but it just felt right in the moment. It just, in the moment. <laughs> it was so good. This is why I would not be a good judge. It was just like, in the moment. It was really heated. In the moment. Now, I'm going to read from her obituary really quick okay. to end on a pretty good note. And then we can do yours. And then I'll destroy it. So. No oh, good. Good, good, good. Um... Preston Zizel Dominique of Anaheim, 26, was known to the family was known to family and friends as Zizi. She was a proud mother and daughter, not gonna say their name. She was a talented dancer, and then she was the full-time student becoming trying to become a domestic violence counselor. Um and yeah, so she was literally the most compassionate person, full of life. And this motherfucker took her from the world, and that she didn't deserve that at all. Nobody really deserves that, except for really bad people. Like him. Yep. So, um, her kids are fucking thriving, and, um, Zizel's mother is now the legal guardian of Zizel's children, so they're well taken care of and well loved. Zizel's father passed away. Um, and yeah, so that is the story and case of Zizel Preston. All right, so I'm doing the case of Dorothy Jane Scott. And I want to put a disclaimer right now. So many sources had different names for her son and her father and her aunt. Oh. They would like change up the names and so i'm pretty sure i have the right names but i'm like only 99 percent sure so if i mess up the names don't come for me that's just my disclaimer so dorothy was a 32 year old single mother living in california she lived in not anaheim but like one of the suburbs which is why i was so freaked out Mm -hmm. um she worked as a secretary at two gift shops in the area. Um, she was just this religious, sweet little mom. She had a four-year-old son whose name, I believe, was Sean. 
They've also said the father's name was Sean and the aunt's name was Sean, so they just really go for it. <laughs> They're all Sean. <laughs> They're all Sean. No, there's also Shanti, though. Um, and oh, then... it's Sean and aunt? That's fun. Shanti. I love that. <laughs> Sean. Shanti. And then the dad's name is um, something completely different, but sometimes they call the dad Sean. Daryl. No, his <laughs> name... What's his name? It's um, Jacob. And sometimes he's Sean. <laughs> so I'm just really confused. Maybe it's like Jacob Sean Jr. I have no idea. So, um, just a note for later. Sean's father did not live locally and has an alibi. So. Are you sure? Popped. Airtight. Are you sure, though? Sometimes yeah. they say that and it's not. It's not him. I promise. What if it is? I'll get into it. You'll know it. It's You'll funny. know it's not. I think it's him, so. Okay. So, on May 28th, 1980, she went to a work meeting, and her son, Sean, was at her parents' house, because they lived nearby to where she worked. Wait, old? I don't know why I just said old. Um, her son is four? Yes. Okay. So, she was at a work meeting, and one of her co-workers was, like, not feeling well, um, like... And he had this weird bump on his skin. Oh, shit. And Dorothy was like, hey, my guy, do you want me to drive you to the hospital? And he was like, that's probably not a bad idea. And so Dorothy and another co-worker, Pam Heed, drove this guy. His name is Conrad Bostrin. They drove him to the hospital. Um, and on their way to the hospital, at around 9 p.m., she stopped at her parents' house to, like, tell her parents, hey, I'm going to be home a little later, say hi to your kid, and she changed her scarf. It was cold. She had a black scarf on, and she changed it to a red scarf. I do know this case. I hate you. <laughs> do you know this case? I don't think you know all the details, I, though. Probably not, but I remember the scarf train. Yeah. I remember. Okay, so they took him to the hospital, and turns out he got bit by a black widow. Me. Just kidding. I've never been bit by a black widow. Um, and it was early enough that he, like, got... Oh, king shit. Yay. Is that good? Yeah, he lived. He was good. It was 11 p.m. when they were leaving. But he's a good guy, though, right? He's, he's great. Okay, king shit. Yes, he's good. So, at 11 p.m., just about two hours later, he was doing good and was discharged. So, Pam, the other co-worker, stayed with him while I like, did the paperwork and insurance. And Dorothy was like, I got you guys. I'm going to run to the bathroom. I'll go get the car, and I'll pull it up so you guys don't have to walk very far. Oh my god, that's so sweet of her. She's so sweet. Because um, he's still, like, not feeling good from the spider bite, right? Yeah, sure. And if it's cold, nobody wants to walk that far. Mm-hmm. Like that. So, she goes out to go get the car. And, like, five, ten minutes go by. She's still not there. Yeah, I remember this case. Ten, twenty minutes. She's still not coming. So, they're getting ready to go, like, out there to, like, go find her. And her car comes speeding through the parking lot turns out of the hospital, and goes down the road speeding. Headlights are really bright, so they can't see who's driving, and it's just gone. So Pam and Conrad, they're like, oh my gosh, something must have happened at home. She had, like, an emergency. She had to run and get it. Like, no big deal at all. So a couple hours later, they still hadn't heard from her, though, and that's when they called the police to report her as a missing person. And... The police were like, mm, nah, not yet. So 
The next day, early, I think it was about four in the morning, her car was found burning 10 miles from the hospital, engulfed in flames. And at this point, the police are like, oh, shit, I think this is a kidnapping. My bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yikes. It's LAPD. I don't understand why that's a shocker. So, there... Some stuff did happen in between, but I'm going to get into that a little later. Okay, her. But four years later, in August of 84, a construction crew discovered human and dog remains in an area north of Anaheim. Well, There was a skull and other bones, and they were like, mm, this is Dorothy's because they had her dental records. One of the construction workers, like the head of the construction worker... Wait, the dental record, the bones were Dorothy's? Yes. I love how you just, like, fucking railed over that. Well, obviously, I wouldn't mention if it wasn't hers. And that was ten miles... Sometimes I like to. I like to be like, and it was not her. That's really tough. (laughs) Those bones were found ten miles from the car. So 20 miles from the hospital. In total. Okay. Um, So the head construction worker, Jesse Loza discovered the bones minutes after joking with his crew to, quote, watch out for dead bodies. Let's not be doing that. Don't, because then he found one. Yeah, but then, like, I feel like that happened a lot. Like, my daddy worked for KDOT, and a lot of his men found, like, a fuck ton of dead bodies because they're just, like, chilling in the ditches. Like, don't be saying that to people who are, like, searching around in the ditches of the forest. Because <laughs> they're going to find it. They're going to find a dead body. Um, it's never a mannequin either. Mm-hmm. And so when like police like they brought in like the bones and stuff they also found a watch and a turquoise ring but the watch it had stopped at 12 30 a.m on may 29th which is when she had gone missing so that's another reason they knew it was her this is really interesting like i said she was found with dog bones right Mm -hmm. and she did not have a dog the dog had no relation to her she did not have a pet nothing but everybody, okay, not everybody knows. But if you want to trick police, yes, you'll hide a dead body under the dead body of an animal. So but I heard they, that that was like debunked. Like that's not true, and that like well, if the police are bad at their job, well, yeah, it works. LAPD. LAPD. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what I'm even saying right now. Um, but especially because this was what did you say eighties? The eighties. So yeah, definitely not good. Uh, so he did that. This guy, who we'll get into. He thought you said it was unsolved. Just a minute. Okay. So, he put a dog on top of her bones. That's really sad, though. That poor baby dog. Is Did he, like, kill it? Don't know. We don't oh, know. my God. He probably did. If you're going to kill a person, you can kill it. Yeah. So, in the investigation of this, because they're now looking at it as a murder, they... I'm sorry. They're... Oh, right. Okay, because they realized it was a murder. Never mind. I thought they were like, just currently, as of 2022, they're now looking at it as a murder. 40 years later. No, 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 no. In 84, when they found her bones. Okay. That's when they started, like, really. Wait. When did she go missing? 80. 80? So it was four years? Four years before they found her bones. Oh, Jesus. So... I'm going to tell you what happened leading up to the murder. And then I'll tell We're you kind of going back like minded. Yeah. A little switch route. And then that. I'll tell you what happened in the four years. So during their investigation, Dorothy's parents told them like what had been happening. 
because in the months leading up to her disappearance, she had been receiving phone calls from a man professing her love for her, and then when she turned him down, threatening her. So she like told her parents, she was like, the voice just sounds so familiar. Like, I just can't place it. Like, I've heard this voice, but I don't know who it is. Is a coworker? No. Oh. Um, she told a coworker that the, uh, the caller watched her every move. So he would tell her on the phone specific details of her life. And so she was like, oh, shit, I don't think this is a prank, guys. That's my worst nightmare. Actually. Yeah. That's why I told you this is really going to freak you out. It's like... It's like it gets worse. I no, it gets worse. Hold on, I was breathing. Okay, it gets worse. He said to her one time on the phone, "Quote: When I get you alone, I will cut you up into bits so no one will ever find you." Well, that's what I would do. Stop saying that. Sorry, I didn't do that. <laughs> so he, on the I don't want to cope. Okay. He would randomly be like, "Oh my god, I love you. I'm gonna kill you." Just, like, back and forth. Very bipolar. Um, at one point, he left a dead rose on the windshield of her car. He called her and was like, go look at your car. And I she went outside and there was a dead rose on her windshield. I thought you were going to say, like, dead eye or something. No, a dead rose. I mean, that's really sad. Roses are my favorite flower, just in case. Because like, you're basic. Any of you want to, like, send me one, like, let me know. No. Mine's Dahlia. Not to do with Black Dahlia. I liked him before that. But Black Dahlia. The queen. Yeah. No, roses are my favorite because they're the epitome of romance. They're like the most romantic flower on earth. Okay. That's why. Fuck you. So, a week after she vanished, we're cutting. She vanished. And then when she vanished, everything changed. Sorry. Sorry. So, the guy, the same guy, called her parents' house. And was like, I've got her, and hung up. Did he? Yeah. Okay. Um, and then two weeks, he called and was like, hey, do you guys know Dorothy? And they were like, yeah. Fucking who? <laughs> who? Did you say, um, I don't know that name. And, like... like, he would just say random stuff whenever he would call. And he made sure that he told him that she had a red scarf on. Because she had changed the scarf from black to red. He told them about her red scarf. So he had obviously seen her between when she had gone home into the hospital, which they obviously were like, yeah, he probably killed her then if you knew about the red scarf, right? Yeah. Then, like a month after her disappearance, uh, her father went to the media source and a newspaper story ran about her. And the editor of the newspaper got a call from the man who said that he kidnapped her and that he loved Dorothy and caught her cheating, so he killed her. How dare she? Um, and they were like, this isn't fake, because he gave up details that, like, were not released to the public. Um, maybe he's a psychic. Maybe. Now, Dorothy did not date. She did not do drugs. She did not drink alcohol. She did not go out. She did not... This was not a previous partner of her because she didn't have a previous partner other than the child's father. Oh, okay. who I keep forgetting about the child. Because <laughs> he's just like, yeah. not relevant to the story. But. Um, and he's like, yeah, Dorothy called me from the hospital. And Pam was like, no, I was with her the whole time. She did not call you. 
Like, don't be lying out here. So, in those four years that I was telling you about, every single Wednesday, the phone would run, ring at her parents' house, and the calls would only come if the mother was home alone. And he so would, he was obviously watching them. Yeah. I hate that. And he would be like, hey, is Dorothy there? Or he'd be like, I killed Dorothy, you know? So he's just like... Or I have her held captive, you know? He would say all sorts of stuff. So he's just like, whatever depends on the day. Yeah. Um, Four months. It stopped for four months at one time. And that was because one day, the dad picked up. And he said like, hello, this is Jacob. And the guy immediately hung up. Immediately. Didn't say anything. And some people think that... It's because the dad may have known the voice of who it was, and that's why he hung up. Like, the dad would have recognized the voice, you know? But then the mom said that she might have. So why wouldn't he be scared of the mom recognizing the voice? The mom might have never met him. Oh. What if, she's like, oh, I, maybe I know the voice, but I don't know. I the mom understand. doesn't. Dorothy might have known them. Not the mom. No, but I thought you said the mom heard the voice and was like, I know this voice. No, Dorothy. Dorothy oh, sh- knew the voice. Oh, sorry. I thought the mom picked up and then... Okay, sorry. Yeah, no, the mom has no idea who this voice is. Dorothy recognized the voice but couldn't place it. And so there's a theory that when the dad picked up, the guy hung up because he may have known the dad. Okay, got it. There's also something that he also just might have not have known about the dad um, because he'd never spoken to him. And so he just assumed someone else had moved into the house. But I don't believe that because clearly he was watching and he knew so much that I don't think that that's I think he knew the dad well yeah that makes more sense yeah if he was like oh then maybe somebody else moved in like he knows he, he knows everything like why would that be the first time he doesn't know something yeah what if he was like cameras on this? probably wait it was the 80s probably though. you're right yeah. um and then this was I really thought this was interesting the mom and dad refused to change their number because they still had hope that Dorothy was alive and maybe he would let them talk to her. That makes me want to throw up and die. It's so sad. So now let's get into the theories, okay? Okay. So at Dorothy's job, there was a man who would come in sometimes named Mike Butler. And his sister worked at the same shop and had become obsessed with Dorothy. And he lived in the mountains nearby, and it was rumored that he was unstable and maybe doing some occult shit. I don't judge. Maybe he was, Kennedy. I did not see <laughs> me occult. Well, like, occult shit can mean a lot of things. I mean, what's yeah. that one case with the three boys who got it because they were emo? Uh, West Memphis 3. Yeah. I will be doing that case eventually, but... That's what I'm saying. Like, you can't judge just based on that. Um, and Dorothy's son, Sean, this is his theory. He believes that this is the man who killed his mom. Okay. Um, so Mike had run across Dorothy's dad before. So that could be why they didn't talk on the phone, is because they, he would have known Mike's voice. Mm-hmm. Um, he also could follow her and know her schedule because it was very similar to her, his sister's schedule. And he, like, had an excuse. He'd be like, oh, my God, I'm not following you. I'm here for my sister. 
Oh. Yeah. Um, but there's no, like, hard evidence for this theory. All circumstantial. Got it. Yeah. Now, Sean's father was a suspect for a time, but he has an airtight alibi, so they're kind of ruling that out. Uh, so at the moment, it is completely unsolved. They have no idea who it could be other than this person who has been calling, who they obviously don't know. Um, and so that's kind of the end of that, like the wrap up. However, there is something that may be linked to this murder, and that's the murder of Patricia Schneider, who was murdered in July of 82, so just two years. Um, and she had made a call saying her car had broken down and then she vanished. And a few hours later, her car was found in a field on fire, just like Dorothy's car. There was no sign of her, um, so she was kidnapped. Um, the major difference is that she did not receive any threatening phone calls, so that's kind of like a disparency. Wait, so did the mom of Dorothy get the threatening phone calls, or was that just Dorothy, or did they both get them? They both got them, but the mom got them after Dorothy went, like, disappeared. Okay. She, the mom would get phone calls and be like, I have Dorothy, do you guys know Dorothy? I killed Dorothy. Stuff like that. For four years. Yeah. But, like, everyone say so. It was, like, even longer. It yeah. It was just, like, death. Um, so, Patricia's disappearance was also never solved, so there's no, like, for sure connection, but it could be connected because of the cars on fire. Mm-hmm. So, that is the awful case of Dorothy Scott. So, you think it's Mike? I, it seems to make sense because of the circumstances, but I just don't know. I don't know. That sounds like, I feel like it's just somebody who's definitely, like, has some sort of, like, obsessive thing. Yeah. A stalker, for sure. But yeah. I feel like Mike is too easy. That's what I'm saying. Because, like, people were like, oh my god, it's the weird, creepy occult guy. Yeah, because that's just exactly like the West Memphis three where they That's just, what I'm saying, They yeah. only blamed him because of, like, oh, he has mental illness, and then he Yeah. Was, well, none of the boys had mental illness. Actually, yes, Jesse had a mental illness. He was autistic. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying, like, it just seems too convenient. Yeah. And I Some, think, some of the ones that are convenient, I'm like, well, but this one, I'm just like, eh. I just don't feel it. So, it could be. I'd be like, cool, that's that. But I just feel like it's something different. I feel like it's... I, in my bones, I feel like it's a coworker. It's somebody... It's, like, gotta be somebody who knows her schedule very well. Somebody yeah. who knows her very well. Yeah. Because, like, it's just so creepy, though. Or just, like, maybe not personally know her, but, like, spent years with her. Yeah. Like, like a classmate she didn't know very well or something. Like... Yeah. I don't know. It, I don't know. It creeps me out, though, because stalkers freak me out. I know. I don't, I don't want to stalk. That's, like, one of the reasons why I don't want to be famous, because it's, like, stalk. Do you know how many freaking celebrities are murdered because of stalkers or almost murdered? So that's Dorothy Scott and the stalker story. Well, those are pretty short. I'm very proud of us. Only one hour. I know. Less than an hour, maybe. We killed it. Our, other, our last one was less than an hour, too, wasn't it? Oh, my gosh. Look at us go. Holy shit. So, all right. 
you know what time it is. Follow on Instagram, Facebook, email us, uh, the Patreon, podcast.themacabre. On everything. On literally everything. Except for the Gmail, and then it's just at gmail.com. Well. At the end. Yeah. Obviously. Durr. Don't be goofy. Don't be silly. Actually, be goofy. <laughs> Keep it goofy. But that's, that's us. And then donate to the Patreon if you feel so inclined. inclined. And other than that. Bye! Bye.